Welcome. We are uh, certainly glad that you're here this morning. We have every reason always to praise the name of the Lord. He's so good. He's so faithful, and I hope that you're increasing experience uh, all the time. Welcome to our guests today. They're with us. Please take a moment, everyone, and fill out a connection card attached to the bulletin there. Put it in the basket at the end of the service. If you're new to us, we'd love you to stop by the hub and meet our folks over there at our Connection Center and uh, just get acquainted a little bit. We have a small gift for you as well. We're here to love the Lord together. We are honoring our graduates in all of our services today. We have some 70 or so that we are recognizing, a large graduating class, number of graduates from college as well. Commencement is what you go through when you uh, graduate. And you know, in the Bible, there are a lot of commencements. There's a, the commencement when the earth begins. There's the commencement of Noah coming off the ark and, and stepping on dry ground. There's the commencement of Moses uh, crossing over the Red Sea, leading all the, the Jews into their life of freedom after slavery. There's, there's Jonah being puked up on the shore, which was a commencement for him. And there's all kinds of commitment, no commencement like the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And there's a sense in which every week when you come together, we, we, regardless how our week's been, we may have been a miserable failure this week, but we have a new beginning every day when we wake up. And every Lord's Day we come together, we can do better for Him. And so I hope today will be a commencement for you, a kind of a fresh start, a new beginning as we breathe in just this, this breath air of the Spirit of God and let Him fill us today. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for making us new from the inside out. There is none like you. You're able to do what nobody else can. Thank you for remaking us and putting us on solid ground. Today, Father, I pray that we will be good receivers of all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in 1 Peter chapter 3 today. We've been in 1 Peter a few weeks since Easter Sunday, really, because we're talking about the so what of the resurrection. Because Jesus raised from the dead, we're able to be raised, but we're raised to what? Uh, one thing we're raised to is to a, a new testimony. So this is our text today, chapter 3, 1 Peter, beginning with verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. He saves you, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, and it is God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. I was an adult before I ever got to see the Wizard of Oz all the way through. 
At that time when I was little, we had church on Sunday night, and I was ticked off we had to go to church. And I never got to see it, because the only time they ever showed it at that time. And so it was a long time before I figured out. When I got to be an adult, I found it, of course, fascinating, as, as many of us have. Now, I got a movie a trivia uh, a quiz we're going to play today, and it's so simple, fill in the blank, no big deal. Because Dorothy meets three unusual characters along the way, and she first uh, meets the scarecrow, who really wants a brain. Then she meets the tin man who wants, and she also meets the, the uh, lion who wants courage. Now, interestingly, when, after I read this text, I think the story of our lives is often about those three particular characters Dorothy meets. I, I'm a preacher, but I have failed at being the witness that I need to be in the world. I have missed opportunities. I have not handled things right. I've not taken advantage of opportunities, so I know that's a common experience. Now, I'm asking for transparency today, and I'll be transparent with you as well. Which one of these three characters do you most relate to when it comes to sharing your faith with somebody else? Who here would admit that my problem is I need a brain? That is, I'm afraid I'm not going to know what to say or how to answer somebody who asks the question. Okay, how many of you relate more, let's go to the lion, you just aren't courageous enough to initiate the conversation? Okay, now I relate to the tin man because I know my heart, I don't always have a heart for lost people that I need to have. How many is there? Yeah, we're all over the page. And we probably, all of us, can relate to all three of those characters. But I I have missed opportunities I have been in a situation where I haven't tried, and I'm thinking, that is, that is me. I have my heart still, after 40 years of being a preacher, I have not yet grown in my heart to the extent that I should have by now. And so all of us together, we have failed. We would confess that. But Peter here is writing to these first century believers. The date of the letter is 63 uh, AD, so it's 30 years after he preached the first sermon on the first day of the church, three decades have gone by. These people are enduring this terrible persecution. They are, they are going to prison. They're being burned alive. They're being dragged out of their houses. They're enduring all kinds of things. They, can't, they had to be a part of trade unions, but because they were Christians, they wouldn't include them in the trade unions, so their businesses suffered. Economically, they're suffering. There's all kinds of suffering. In spite of that, Peter says, look, you have a testimony. You have a new testimony to share with the world. And he doesn't soft pedal. He doesn't get them off the hook because of their suffering. He said, I don't care what's going on in your life. You are witnesses for the Lord and what he's done for your life. So let's learn from him. First of all, he speaks of the method of witnessing. And there's a lot of ways, that, of course. And the method I'm talking about is, it has some ingredients to it, whatever the method is. We live in a time where we've learned lots of methods about engaging other people who are not in Jesus Christ. But Peter hits on some components that are so important in the midst of this persecution. The first one, he says, is be courageous. Be courageous. 13 and 14 say, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Now, Peter here quotes from Isaiah the prophet who proclaimed 700 years before Jesus. 
And, and God said to Isaiah at that time, don't fear what they feared. Don't be frightened. Isaiah was speaking a hard message to a hardened culture. In our particular culture, we know that we have seen, those of us who are older, have seen a great shift in our culture, and there's an increased hardening against Christians, against the, the good news of Christ. Uh, we have to be extremely careful when we communicate those kinds of things. It's, it's a different culture. Now, for centuries in the world, all kinds of cultures have been under severe persecution. People, I've told you recently, 90,000 believers were killed last year in the world for the faith. And that's a typical number year after year, 90,000, just because they were followers of Jesus. Now, we haven't suffered consequences like that, but we do know what it's like to be shunned. You're not invited to a party. You're not, you're not included in a gathering. You don't get the promotion. You're, you're, you're overlooked by people. Uh, people don't know, really, they don't really want to come over and get acquainted with you because they, they know what you believe, or maybe you've been ridiculed. Jesus said in Matthew 20, 10, 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body and hell. Now, Peter learned the hard way, of course. Remember that 30 years previous to this, he was standing outside warming himself by the fires when Jesus was on trial, failing miserably. You're a friend of his, are you? No, no, I don't know him. Three times he denied any association with Jesus. We've probably all been guilty sometimes of, of if, if not with words, with actions, denying we have anything to do with Jesus. Nevertheless, and, and, and in fact, when Jesus came out of the trial, the Bible just says Jesus looked at Peter. And then Peter went out and wept bitterly. The good news of that story, though, is that some two months later, Jesus always, even though Jesus knew that Peter was going to fail, he said to him, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. So two months later, after Peter failed terribly, he, he, with the keys of the kingdom, announced the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus to thousands of people in the crowd in Jerusalem, and 3,000 people were baptized in Jesus. So it doesn't matter the past is the past. If we failed, we failed. Today is a new day, and this is a new week. We can do better for the name of the Lord. And I hope you understand that and know that and experience His grace. It's not our job to save anybody. Our job is to just plant seeds. The Bible says some people water, plant, some people water, but God alone gives the increase. He alone saves. But we will never reap a harvest if we never plant a seed. So we're always seed planters. Second, be prepared. Verse 15 says, In your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So we prepare. So this is for you, scarecrow people, who also don't think you have a brain. You do have a brain. It just has to be applied properly. Now, if we have your email, you should know by now, if we have your email you can sign on to rightnowmedia.com. It's free. The church pays every month so that everybody in this church can have these resources available. Go to that website, rightnowmedia.com. If you don't, we don't have your email, give us your email so you can get on. And then put in this word, apologetics. That doesn't, not, that doesn't mean you're sorry for, your being, for being a Christian. It means, that means defense of the faith. That's what that study, that discipline is. You type in that word apologetics, you'll get about eight or ten video teachings about 
dealing with the hard questions that people pose, us who believe. The first one is by Matt Chandler. Four big questions that people use arguing against Christianity. Watch those. Get schooled in those. You'll see videos by R.C. Sproul, great theologian, Ravi Zacharias, great theologian. I mean, we have so much available to us today. And there's no reason why, why we all can't be well prepared to engage the world, people, unbelievers, and just spiritual conversations. Is it easy? No. I've told you before, my wife and I had five atheists come to our house for a year on Monday nights. And it was difficult. I, 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 I was stumped. They'd say things that I frankly did not know how to come back to. But I, I do know I cared for them and loved them. I, and, I, and, I, and they helped me. By things they told me, I learned that my words were not being heard in the way that I meant them. For instance, I referred to Jesus as our personal Savior. And you know what one, one gal said? She said, I like that, because that, that means I can make him by who I want to be, Don't, can't, doesn't it? That's what it means. I said, no, that's not what it means. I never heard it that way. We get used to this Christian lingo, you know? And we think it's automatically understood. She thought she could shape him to be anything she wanted him to be. See, make him that personal. No. So that's why it's, it's really good to engage people who, are, who think differently. And that's why I listen to like TED Talks or, or NPR to, he, to hear how the world thinks, what their view is, that sort of thing. And so it helps us be prepared that way as well. Be prepared. Second, be respectful. Verses 15 and 16, do this with gentleness. Gentleness also carries the idea of humility. Don't you dare be arrogant because you're saved and they're not. Don't come across condescendingly or as if you're better than anybody else. We are not better than anyone else. Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your Good behavior. I will stop there for your good behavior. Now, I've been in this community for 30 years, and I'm appalled sometimes at what gets back to me on how some of our church members behave outside of Sunday morning. It's an embarrassment when I hear about people who say, do you know what someone said, whether it's to their boss or how they practice business or how they treated a school teacher or, or, or uh, a politician, whatever it is, whatever, what they said. Friends, we cannot do that. God expects stellar behavior from us. Even if you have a right, even if, if, you, if even you have a right to complain, you still do it respectfully and honorably. You do it in a way that always respects the person you're talking to. Never a way to trash them and to speak down to them. Paraphrased, it says, be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks you why you're living the way you are and always with the utmost courtesy. Now, uh, people want to debate. It's okay to debate people as long as they're wanting to understand your point of view. They understand your argument. But it ever gets to the point where you're just at each other, there is no fruit and profit in that. It's better just to go on. We're not about winning arguments. We're about winning people. So whatever we have to do to win people is what this is all about. And we do this the more as we revere Christ. What happens is they watch our lives when they see us go through challenges 
or when they see us, uh, when, they, when they see how the, the turmoil of our life especially, and we're able to live in peace and a spirit of joy and contentment, say, I mean, how can you be living that way? That's your open door. And you don't say, well, it's just because my parents taught me that, or my dad was that way, so I am. You know, that, God doesn't get any glory for that. Your dad does. He might be dead for all I know. I don't know. But, but, but see, nothing happens. It's the open door to say, well, Christ, Christ makes the difference. That's why. All right, the motivation for witnessing, here we go. Verse 18 says, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. I think you know what category you're in, right? You and me were the unrighteous of that sentence, okay? There is one who is righteous, Jesus Christ, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. So obviously, you know the answer to our motivation. First of all, God's love for us. Nobody has loved us like he's loved us and demonstrated in the way that he has. 5.8 of Romans says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, I think... I think the longer we're in church, the more we start believing that we're not that bad. I'm bad. You know, I think we get to the idea, we think that, you know, I'm a pretty good guy, you know, good marriage, love my kids, pay my bills on time. So 90% of my life, I've got it together. But I've got this 10% that I really need help with, God, and I'm glad for your grace and that Jesus died for me to cover that 10%. If that's how you think, you are dead wrong. You have a lousy theology. David the psalmist wrote, I have surely I've been sinful from the time my mother conceived me. He wasn't teaching original sin that we're born as babies filled with sin and we need to be sprinkled. That's not what that psalm is about. What David is saying, man, he was saying, man, I, I, am, I, am, I am a rebel through and through. Now, that's me. By nature, I am a rebel through and through. I do not want to submit to the authority of God. That's my flesh. And even though I've been born again, as most of you have been, we all can testify that civil war that continues to go on within us, right? We know that. Through and through, we need rescued by God. And that's what happened. Do you realize what, you know, after Lance Armstrong won the Tour de France several times, and, but before his steroid scandal and, and uh, fall, right, before, between the time, remember, he endured cancer and he beat it. Now, he's not a spiritual, godly person at all. But between that time, he conquered cancer, and he was being interviewed on 60 Minutes because he had raised like hundreds of thousands of dollars in, uh, for cancer research. Interviewers, they ask the dumbest questions, don't they? And this interviewer asked, so why do you do that? Why do you give your, I mean, it's kind of an obvious. But, but Armstrong's answer was, it's the obligation of the cured. What a great answer. It's, it's, the, it's our, we've been cured. We have a remedy for our sin provided by God through Jesus Christ. That's the only remedy for sin and our lostness. And it's our obligation, it's also our privilege to be able to tell what God has done for us. And God's love for others is our other motivation. Now, his love for other people who are not believers and who are not in Christ, it is a different kind of love, mind you. Does he love them? Yes, but it's different kind of love. Uh, for instance, 
He loves us who are in him with a kind of love because on the cross of Christ, what happened? This great exchange happened, didn't it? Where I was under the wrath of God and on the cross, this exchange. When I was baptized into Christ, the wrath that of God on me was transferred to Jesus and I get to be treated, you get to be treated as just like he treats Jesus. Now, you can look at your life. I look at my life and say, okay, I'm far from Jesus. Yes, but through the blood of Christ, he sees you as his own son. We are called co-heirs with Jesus. We are brothers, sisters with Jesus. So he loves the world. He, he loves unbelievers, but while also being under, while they're under his wrath. If you have not surrendered your life today to the lordship of Jesus Christ, the wrath of God is on your life. That's just the truth of the scripture. We have rebelled against our creator. And the only way we are cleansed of that is by surrendering to the only one who could take that sin away. So that's why God is referred to as the hound of heaven. He's always hounding people. He's always pursuing people to come to him because he loves. Remember, unbelieving people in your life that give you a hard time, they are not your enemy. One enemy, Satan. He's the only enemy we're up against. Everybody else, we want to love to new life in Christ. Then we have the result of witnessing. Three big results. You know them well. First, obviously, salvation from sin. Peter uses a great Old Testament analogy. In verses 20 and 21, God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism saves us. Not the water but the blood of Christ. But God has chosen that when we surrender, we're, we're buried in this watery tomb, and there the blood of Christ is applied, and when I, wake, when, I, when I come out of that water, I am a new person. All my sins are gone. I'm a child of God. I'm empowered by his very presence in life. That's what it, what it is to be born again, and it's such a mystery. I've met person after person after person who have loved the Lord in their lives, but they've never submitted to baptism, and they say, something happened to me that day I was baptized. They were born again. That's what the Bible teaches. Malcolm Smith used to, I don't, know if, I don't know if he's still alive. I heard this years ago, him tell this. Malcolm Smith is a preacher in Texas. And there was a, a, a girl from California, L.A., who flew to Texas to spend a, a week with her friends, two girlfriends, who attended Malcolm's church. And uh, what they didn't know is that she had gotten involved in the occult and had become a witch. But they invited her to church. And she went to church with them and heard the good news of Christ for the first time. And she was so captivated. She was talking to her friends. And then they introduced her to Malcolm. He spent time with her that week. The second Sunday she was there, she was baptized into Christ. Now, during the week, she had been communicating to her boyfriend he found out she had gone to church. He got on a plane. He flew to Texas to get her. He stormed into Malcolm's office and said, where's my lady? She's not your lady. She's my lady, and she's the evil one's lady. Where is she? And Malcolm confessed he was so frightened by this guy that he told the address. The guy turned, went to the door of his office, turned, and said to him, 
You didn't baptize her, did you? He said, yeah, yesterday morning. He said, oh, it's all over then. And he got on a plane, went back to California. I've been told by, by Indian Christians that their families did not begin persecuting them when they started to go to a Christian church. They started persecuting when they were baptized in the river because that's when they knew business. Friends, that's when we get married. That's when we're born. That's what happens when we're baptized. We are born again in Jesus Christ. Salvation from sin. Victory over Satan also, verses 19 and 20 say, through whom he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago. I wrote a 25-page paper in graduate school on that, and I still can't know for sure what it's about. But most scholars, there are a lot of interpretations, most scholars believe that Jesus actually descended into hell when he was suffering on the cross, and he actually endured the pain of hell for us. And while he was there, he proclaimed what he accomplished. Most scholars believe that he descended sometime between the resurrection and his ascension. That there he went to the underworld and announced to the spirits of darkness what has been accomplished. And friends, that's what happened. I do not believe what Re when Revelation talks about the battle of Armageddon to be fought in the last days, I do not believe the battle of Armageddon is yet to be fought. I believe it's already been fought and it's already been won on the cross of Christ and when Jesus came alive again. Because Jesus gets the last word. And you can look around and you think, man, Satan is on the move. Yeah, he is. He's called the prince of this world. God has given him some reign in this world. But friends, he is going to be destroyed at the end of time. And Jesus Christ is on his throne forever and he wins. And this is a coming king. And unless we get on his side, you are a goner. That's just how it is. And so we stay near our king. There is victory over Satan. Peter is trash talking. Uh, and more than that, he is truth talking. He is truth talking here. Greater is he that is in you than he's in the world, the Bible says. Live that, believe it. And finally, of course, the hope of heaven, the hope of heaven. Jesus Christ's resurrection is, is that of coming attractions. It's a preview of coming attractions. We are conquerors through Christ. It says here, he's gone into heaven. He's at God's right hand with angels, authorities, powers, and submission to him. Well... You know, I play hide-and-seek differently these days. When I was in high school, we played hide-and-seek on the weekends in the cemetery. You ever played, played hide-and-seek in a cemetery at midnight on a Friday night? You will wet yourself. <laughs> I'm telling you. Uh, it's different when I play with my grandkids, you know? My grandkids are lousy at hide-and-seek because they giggle. And they whisper to their cousins behind the chair. And they peek. Why? They want to be found. Friends, I'm convinced that the world wants to be found. Do they know it? I don't think they know it. All you have to do is watch current movies, read novels, poets, listen to modern music, Listen to eggheads on NPR, some of the TED Talks, and you hear a kind of lostness and confoundedness, even in man's sophistication. Lost. The world wants to be found.
And we get the joy of letting them know how much they're being pursued by a God who loves them. Do you have anybody on your heart today that you know is lost and needs to be found? Now, if you don't, you are not nearly as godly a person as you think you are. And the problem with church people is we get so accustomed to our gatherings that we forget why we exist. And our church calendar should look a lot more engagement out there than in here. We come here to be reminded of why we exist. So let's just spend a moment, and I want you, I want us to, I want this room, uh, from all of our prayers and our hearts and minds, names to be lifted up before the throne of God, that they will one day be saved, and that we can have a little bit of an influence toward that end. Let's pray. Father, I remember that scene when Jesus looks over Jerusalem and he weeps. Father, you have heard these names go up from our hearts. And we do not want them to miss the grace of God. So I pray, Father, you will never stop hounding them, pursuing them. And I pray deeply, Father, that you will help us to open our mouths and speak, to deepen our hearts to love and care, and grant us the courage to represent you well. Thank you for being the one who has sought us and found us and made us alive. Help us to live more intently for you until you come again. In Jesus' name.